bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. Nineteen years ago this week, on December 14, 2000, the Community Renewal Tax Relief Act of 2000 was introduced in the House of Representatives. So what's significant about that? Well, that bill included the New Markets Tax Credit Incentive, and that legislation quickly became part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2001, which was passed by Congress and signed into law by President Bill Clinton exactly one week later. The New Markets Tax Credit has since been extended five times, most recently at the end of 2015. Now, the 2015 extension ends with the calendar year 2019 allocation round. So, once again, we're waiting for Congress to pass legislation that extends and hopefully expands the new markets tax credit. We will talk about the possibility of tax legislation to extend the new markets tax credit later in the podcast. In today's podcast, I'll share an important milestone in Opportunity Zones regulatory guidance. Then, I'll talk about an Opportunity Zones reporting bill that was introduced last week, and I'll provide you an update on how much investment is being tracked on the Novogratz Opportunity Fund's listing. It's up significantly from our prior report. Then, I'll talk about our affordable conference last week in Las Vegas, also have some year-end tax legislation possibilities, and some IRS guidance on the base erosion and abuse tax, or BEAT. I'll wrap up with news about a renewable energy bill, a Department of Education policy concerning Opportunity Zones, and some state-level news from Montana. If you're ready, let's get started. Starting with community development news, the Treasury Department has submitted updated IRIS regulations on Opportunity Zones to the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA. This submission happened last Friday, and OIRA is part of the Office of Management and Budget. Now, we expect that the updated IRIS regulations will combine and update the first two tranches of Opportunity Zones regulatory guidance. The first tranche of proposed guidance, you may remember, was released in October of 2018, with the second tranche being released in April of 2019. So we expect that the updated guidance will combine these two sets of regulations and update them. Now, the OIRA review has taken considerably longer than 30 days for the Opportunity Zones regulations in the prior two rounds. And if that review does take a similar length, then clearly these regulations won't be out until next year, until early 2020. However, we have heard that Treasury has been keeping OIRA informed, as they usually do, during the process of writing the updated guidelines. So it's possible, and some even suggest likely, that this timeline could be shortened such that the regulations could be out by the end of the year. The Opportunity Zones Working Group, though, has suggested that the updated IRS regulations either be published by December 20th, the end of next week, or the IRS wait until next year to release the regulations. Because while Opportunity Zones participants are eager for guidance, and those participants include fund managers, tax practitioners like us at Novogratic, investors and the like, They want to receive guidance, and if they get the guidance by December 20th, that would give these Opportunity Zones participants time to understand the new regulations and make any adjustments 
for any prior or year-end investments. However, guidance any later than that could negatively impact transactions that participants are trying to close no later than December 31st. Now, do keep in mind that the investment deadline to keep the maximum benefit of the opportunities on incentive is December 31st. Now, I will keep you updated on anything we learn about when the regulations will be formally released. Until then, we'll continue to play a bit of a waiting game. In other Opportunity Zones news, legislative news that is, a bill was introduced last Friday to establish a reporting framework for the Opportunity Zones incentive. The bill is called the Impact Act and was introduced by Senator Tim Scott. Now, Senator Scott sponsored, as you likely know, the original Opportunity Zones legislation. At the time of this recording, the Impact Act has seven co-sponsors, including, notably, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley. Now, we have been expecting this legislation for months, and it does contain several important provisions. First, the bill sets reporting requirements for qualified opportunity funds, including the assets and property held by each fund. The Impact Act also would require investors in opportunity funds to report where and when they invested in such funds. Now, the legislation does include penalties for individuals and funds that don't accurately and appropriately report their funds. The Impact Act would also add two requirements for the Department of Treasury. First, Treasury would be required to report information on qualified opportunity funds, including the number of funds, total assets of funds, and how the investments are distributed geographically and by investment type. Treasury would also be required to issue a major report every five years that provides economic and demographic data for each opportunity zone. And the bill would require that those data points be compared to similar communities that were not selected as opportunity zones, so the outcomes could be compared. Now, there's a chance that this bill could be included with year-end tax legislation, which we'll discuss in a bit. And the fact that Senator Scott introduced it and the Senate Finance Committee chairman is a co-sponsor gives it added weight in the Senate. The text of the legislation and a press release announcing it are in today's show notes, and I'll tweet out a link to the bill as well. And of course, we'll keep you updated on the progress of the legislation. Now, staying with Opportunity Zones news, I have an update on the Novogratic Opportunity Funds listing. Nearly $4.5 billion has been raised by Qualified Opportunity Funds in the listing. This $4.5 billion figure was announced today. The Novogratz Opportunity Funds listing is tracking 366 Qualified Opportunity Funds, and we have fundraising information on about half, 184 of those 366 funds. Now, the total of $4.46 billion raised is 40% higher than the amount the last time we checked in during late October, about 50 days ago. Now, we have written and posted a blog post about the results, but I want to give you a few highlights in the podcast. You can read the blog to take a deeper dive into the information. One highlight from today's update, about 45% of the qualified opportunity funds for which we have fundraising and geographic investment target information have a national investment focus, by far the largest category. Now we also track the specific investment types 
of these funds beyond the geography. Now, the investment focus on residential development and commercial continue to lead the way. It's worth noting, though, that most funds that we're tracking have more than one focus, more than one investment type. So when we look at individual investment types and add up all the percentages, they can be well over 100%. That said, funds focus solely or partially on residential properties, they make up about 74% of the total funds raised. And funds focused solely or partially on commercial properties make up about 70% of the total. Now, as you'd expect, there are far more details in my blog post, so please check it out. Those details include the status of fundraising for investments and operating businesses, also a list of some cities that are drawing a notable amount of investment, as well as which geographic areas of the country are our funds focusing on the most. And then meanwhile, as noted earlier, the Treasury Department has sent updated regulatory guidance to the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA for short, as I noted earlier, where we do expect it will stay for three to six weeks before being public. And we'll be sure to try to alert you through breaking news emails when the regulations are released by OIRA. I say try to alert you because you have to register for the breaking news emails to receive them. I'll include a link to register for Novogratz breaking news emails in today's show notes. And I'll also include the link to the blog post, and I'll tweet it out as well. Now let's turn to affordable housing matters. I was pleased to see many of you at our Novogratic 2019 Tax Credit Housing Finance Conference held last week in Las Vegas. We had a great turnout and a lot of hot topics to discuss. Now during my Washington Report session on Thursday morning, my co-panelists and I discussed the potential for a year in tax legislation. As you know, funding for the federal government is set to expire December 20th. That's Friday of next week. So what are some of the options to avoid a shutdown next week? Well, my panelists and I discussed what the number one option is right now, a so-called cromnibus. A cromnibus is a possibility. What's a cromnibus? Well, it's really a CR omnibus. It's a short-term continuing resolution, a CR, combined with a long-term omnibus spending bill for many departments. We did last see a cromnibus in 2014 under the Obama administration. Now, during our session, we also looked at the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that this bill would expand and improve the low-income housing tax credit, and it has strong bipartisan and bicameral support. And obviously, the bill has a lot of support from affordable housing providers and industry groups. So during the conference, we polled our conference attendees and asked them which low-income housing tax credit funding provision would they prioritize if they theoretically could only prioritize one, if only one provision could pass. And we narrowed our poll choices to three provisions. Now, two provisions are from the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, and another one is related to bond volume cap. So the three choices were one, increase the 9% allocation, or two, provide a minimum 4% rate for productivity bond finance properties, or three, provide additional productivity bond cap to states. So, which provision do you think had the most votes? Increase the 9% allocation, a minimum 4% rate for productivity bonds, or additional productivity bond cap for the states? Well, the winner in our poll was the minimum 4% rate. Slightly more than half, 52% of attendees, voted for a minimum 4% credit rate. Next, in second place, 
41% voted for an increase in the 9% allocation. And in third, third place, 7% voted for more productivity bond cap. And while we're also talking about the Falls and Credit Improvement Act, I wanted to note we did have another panel that did a deeper dive into what the Affordable and Credit Improvement Act would do in terms of provide additional affordable housing production. Now, according to demographic estimates, creating a minimum 4% rate would create an additional 66,000 homes over 10 years. And that, by the way, is a conservative estimate. Regarding the 9% tax credit allocation increase, a 50% increase over five years, that would finance an additional 384,000 units over 10 years. Now, the Affordable and Credit Improvement Act also includes another provision related to recycling of bonds. And there, Novogradic, we estimate that recycling bonds would create at least 100,000 additional affordable homes over 10 years. Now, I've just discussed two panels from many at our conference. They were very, it was a very interesting conference, a lot of interesting panels. I want to specifically, though, thank all of our speakers, sponsors, exhibitors, and attendees. And I want to let you know our next housing conference is our Novogradic 2020 RAD Public Housing Conference being held in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, January 9th and 10th in the year 2020, early next year. And as you can tell by the name, we'll focus on insights and opportunities concerning RAD, the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program. I hope to see you there. I'll include a registration link in today's show notes. Now, before we move on, I want to share what we know about a potential year-end tax deal. Now, as I noted earlier, government funding runs out December 20th. And there's potential for a cromnibus or some other funding bill to eliminate a government shutdown. Well, that cromnibus or some other funding bill is seen as a potential vehicle to carry a year-end tax deal. Now, a year-end tax bill could include such things as provisions from the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, could include an extension of the New Markets Tax Credit, extension of certain renewable energy tax credits, it also could include historic tax credit provisions, opportunity zones provisions, and other tax provisions, of course. And Political did report last week that lawmakers and their aides, well, they're saying that the tax committees need to reach an agreement at least a week ahead of the deadline. Now, the deadline is next Friday, December 20th, which means agreement would need to be reached by this Friday. Well, we'll continue to monitor that, and as we learn more, We'll send out breaking news, send out tweets, and certainly report on it in a future podcast. One thing that did happen last week, the IRS released final regulations for the base erosion and anti-abuse tax, or BEAT. The IRS also issued some proposed regulations regarding BEAT. Now, as you probably know, BEAT was part of tax reform legislation back in 2017. And the tax requires that large international corporations calculate their tax liability two ways. Now, large, by the way, means a corporation has at least $500 million in average annual gross receipts for the past three years. There are also some other standards that a corporation must meet to be subject to BEAT. Now, again, corporations subject to BEAT must calculate their tax liability two ways. The first way is under the regular system, and the second way is under the BEAT system. And whichever calculation yields a higher amount of tax must be paid. Now, BEAT has significance in the tax credit community. Low-income housing tax credits and the rural energy tax credit can still be taken against the BEAT 
but it's at a minimum of an 80% rate until the end of 2025. It's in essence a 20% decrease. But between now and 2025, that could be worse because at the end of 2025, low-income tax credits and renewable energy tax credits won't reduce speed. And historic tax credits and new markets tax credits can't be claimed against BEAT at all. And all that said, the good news is that most investors, virtually all investors in tax credits today, are not calculating their tax liability under the BEAT system. They're calculating their tax liability under the regular tax system, so this doesn't affect them. We haven't seen a tremendous impact on tax credit investing since BEAT was implemented, but we've been fearful of it and we've been keeping an eye on it. And the final regulations issued last week are largely in step with the earlier proposed guidance. Now, I will include a link to the regulations in today's show notes and encourage you to reach out to Novogratz office to help you navigate the regulations to the extent that you need to. And the extent that you're hearing about the impact of these regulations affecting investors in your funds, in your projects, or affecting you as an investor, please email us at cpas.novoco.com. We'd love to learn more. Now, I do have some other news. A bill was introduced in the House of Representatives last week that would allow taxpayers to receive a cash payment instead of certain renewable energy tax credits. The bill is the Renewable Energy Investment Act of 2019. It's bill number H.R. 5157. Under the bill, Indian tribal governments would receive 100% of the credit in cash, and other taxpayers would receive 85% of the credit in cash. Also, Last week, the U.S. Department of Education announced that it will prioritize funding for grant applications that support students, teachers, and parents in Opportunity Zones, and it's effective December 27th. Last year, more than half of 238 grants awarded by the Department of Education went to applicants proposing to serve Opportunity Zones. And finally, in state-level news, Montana Housing announced that they will accept applications through December 30th for the Multifamily Coal Trust Homes Program. This program will provide $15 million through low-interest loans to develop affordable rental homes. And the funds can be used for new construction, acquisition, or rehabilitation of existing properties. It also could be used for acquisition of land and land trusts for rental, mobile, or manufactured homes. Well. That brings me to the end of this week's report. As we near the end of the year, I want to let you know that we have a list of all of our 2020 conferences posted on the Novogratz website. You can go there now, if you wish, and register. Also, there's an option to get an all-events pass. Now is a great time to get set for conferences next year that will address affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy. I'll provide a link to our upcoming conferences in today's show notes and tweet it out as well. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.